What is up, everybody? My name is John, and I am the host of Martian MMA, and we are back for episode 51. This week, we are going to be analyzing and predicting the UFC 235 pay-per-view going down this Saturday night from Las Vegas, Nevada. As you notice, we switched up the introduction to the podcast. You know, after 50 episodes, I decided it was time to switch things up in the introduction side of things. And, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Half the Battle lately, and I like the way that Daniel and Shaq just introduced themselves and, you know, get right into it. So I decided to uh, steal a page out of their book, uh, ditch the intro music, the Joe Rogan stuff, and, uh, you know, just get right into it. So we're going to be doing that from now on in the program. And, you know, we're going to get right into uh, analyzing and predicting the pay-per-view coming up this weekend. At the end of the podcast, we will recap the last UFC card. As always, the UFC on ESPN Plus that went down in Prague last weekend. Headlined by Jan Blachowicz versus Thiago Santos. But we are going to be discussing the 12 fights on this week's pay-per-view, starting things off first. And we are going to be in the strawweight division. We have Poliana Viana, who is 10-2, taking on Hannah Cyphers, who is 8-3. The opening betting line for this one was Poliana Viana at the favorite at minus 350 to Hannah Cyphers at plus 250. Right now, we see... Viana at minus 265, Cyphers at plus 225 on our affiliated sportsbook 5dimes.eu. I uh, agree with the line movement so far. There's been uh, some pretty uh, heavy action coming in on Hannah Cyphers th- this past week. I think at one point, actually, Viana stooped down to, um, uh, you know, my, almost minus 400, which is crazy. Uh, I think Cyphers got his pl- uh, highest plus 285, now all the way down to plus 225. I really don't uh, knock the action on this one at all. This is going to be a really competitive fight, um, and I really, you know, can see Hannah Cyphers winning this contest easily. Hannah Cyphers is a, a smaller girl. She's, a, you know, even at the smallest weight class in the UFC at strawweight, she still seems small for the weight class, especially in her last fight against Macy Barber, who is an absolute beast. I can't stress enough how much of a beast she ran into in her UFC debut. I think uh, Barber is, you know, already, you know, one of the top fighters in a 115-pound division. I think she'll make some real big noise throughout the 2019 fight year. So keep an eye on uh, Macy Barber. But Hannah Cyphers, unfortunately, ran into her her and her UFC debut she looked uh, you know decent in the first round she was you know uh, hard to take down she looked uh, pretty uh, intelligent in the clinch looked like she knew what she was doing maybe has some sort of Muay Thai background uh, Cypher's bread and butter is going to be her boxing you know that's where she definitely has the most success but uh, like I said, she has she has pretty decent takedown defense. It took a lot for uh, Barbara to take her down. I think Barbara might have slammed her down in the last 10 seconds of the round. But Barbara actually struggled a little bit getting her down. And, you know, her opponent, Poliana Viana, is, uh, I guess you would call her a, a, a submission fighter. Uh, she wants to get the fight to the floor. She pr- seems pretty strong in the clinch. She likes getting the fight there a lot of the times and then looking for her takedowns or her guard pulls to get the fight to the floor. But I... Poliana Viana's striking defense is not good, man. She eats punches clean. She has no head movement. She actually kind of moves her head into the punches sometimes. Uh, I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. So, you know, it's it's, it's going to be interesting this one. Cypher is at the plus 220 underdog. I have no problem laying, laying a little bit of action on her. I think I got her all the way at plus 285, but there's still there's still value on Cypher's, man. I think that this fight should be maybe Viana minus 150 uh, and Cypher's plus 130 or something like that. You know, you can look at Hannah Cypher's 
points handicap line, which is, you know, if uh, Hannah Seifert wins inside the distance or wins by or loses the decision by less than four points or wins the decision at all, she will, uh, your bet will cash, you know. So that that basically means that if Poliana Viana 30-27s her three times, then you will lose because that's nine points. But if it's if Poliana Viana wins 29-28, that's three points. That means the bet covers and you still win. So if th- that's going to uh, be a huge, uh, you know, bet for me in this one. I can't believe I'm laying the, this chalk on Hannah Cyphers because this is a, a little bit of a lower level uh, women's MMA fight. But I, I just think that there's massive value right now on Cyphers. So, uh, the pick is going to be Cyphers to get this one done. Honestly, I could see her TKOing Viana or getting it done by decision. Uh, the next fight was supposed to be Frankie Sainz versus Marlon Vera. However, it was canceled a few days ago with uh, Marlon Vera injury. So we are moving on to the women's bantamweight division. We have Gina Manze, who is 5-2, and two, taking on Macy Chiasin, who is 3-0. and oh. The betting line for this one opened up Chiasin as the minus 300 favorite. Gina Manze at plus 220 looking over at our affiliated sportsbook 5dimes.eu. We see Chiasin at minus 500 to Manze at plus 400. So a lot of action coming in on Macy Chiasin. I don't really blame uh, the betters for uh, jumping on this line. Uh, you know, this one seems to be going to be a, a pretty uh, tough matchup for Manze. Uh, we've seen, you know, Chiasin just come off the, you know, her winning the Ultimate Fighter at featherweight. Uh, she beat uh, Pansy Kinziad in that that fight and looked really impressive in that fight. She, you know, was relentless with the takedown. She has good ground and pound. She's got some power on the feet too. Um, she's just a really strong girl, and her submissions and her top control is is very good. Once she gets her opponents down, it's very hard for them to get up. You know, she is. Uh, she had a lot of success on the Ultimate Fighter. She choked out a, a few girls and on that show, and then she uh, went on the Ultimate Fighter or the finale, and then got another rear naked choke. So, uh, despite her being three and zero, she actually has a good amount of amateur experience too. Four and two amateur record, and then those two exhibition bouts too. So she's actually, uh, you know, got. Uh, nine wins under her MMA career and uh, two losses. So, you know, she's uh, the much more experienced experienced opponent. Uh, Gina Manze is, you know, five and two. Uh, no amateur uh, record for her. And she's, you know, just struggled in the UFC so far. You know, we, she actually had a nice decision win over uh, Wu Yanan, uh, who actually just submitted... Um, Lauren Lauren Mueller herself, so that win looks pretty good. But she uh, got dominated by Sarah McMahon, just taken down and submitted right away by a really strong wrestler and grappler in Sarah McMahon, and then also lost the fight to Lena Landsberg in a really boring clinch fest where, you know, uh, Manze was just not able to separate and get distance and wing her wild punches. So she does have power, Manze. She has, you know, she wings, strikes, uh, punches being her best, you know, uh, weapon, I'd say. She can hit a takedown. She's got a little bit of awareness on the ground. Um, you know, that's where she won that fight against uh, Wu Yanan. She was taking her down and landing some ground and pound in that fight. But, um, you know, since then, we have not really seen Manze show too much skill in the UFC. And uh, I just think this fight really uh, favors Chiasin. I think that Chiasin will take her down uh, fairly easily. 
and then uh, you know just be heavy on top, land that ground to pound, and then probably uh, you know Manze will give up her back at some point, and Chasten will get the sub. So the pick is going to be by Chasten by sub. And last time I checked the prop on Chasten by submission, plus 170. Man, that is a great line. Uh, you know, if you you think that Chasten could pound her out with some ground and pound, which is also a huge possibility, uh, the minus 149 inside the distance line isn't too bad either. But man, I, I would be uh, I would be pretty shocked to see Manze, uh, you know, catch. Um, Chasten, I guess the only chance she really has is maybe winging a, a wild shot on the feet in, in the first couple stand-up exchanges and catching Chasten's chin, but I really don't think that will happen, and I think Chasten will uh, win this fight fairly easily. Moving on to the next fight in the middleweight division, we have Charles Bird, who is 10-5, taking on Edmund Shabazian, who is 8-0. The opening betting line for this one was Shabazian as the minus 145 favorite. Charles Bird at plus 105. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes right now, we see Shabazian minus 145, Bird at plus 120. So a lot of two-way action coming in on this fight. This is a very close matchup when you know the odds reflect it. Um, Charles Bird, uh, his, you know, he's had a pretty up and down career in the UFC so far. You know, he he came in uh, off the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, a really impressive win over Randall Wallace in that fight, and then he uh, came in, took down John Phillips, had some heavy top pressure, and eventually got the choke in round one to that fight, but. Then he uh, fought a, a brawler, uh, you know, a powerful striker in Darren Stewart, a, a common opponent between the two of the, these uh, fighters. Bird had some early success versus Stewart. He won the first round of that fight, but then, you know, he got a little complacent in round two. I think he probably was honestly winning round two as well, but then Darren Stewart hit him with a short elbow and it just changed the whole direction of the fight. Uh, Bird was hurt and then Stewart uh, swarmed on him and ended up finishing that fight. So, uh, you know, one and one record for Bird so far in the UFC. Uh, you know, two wins on the Tuesday Night Contender Series. This is going to be really interesting because I think Bird has a, has a pretty solid ground game, but, you know, Shabazzian, another Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series guy, he uh, was on that show last year, knocked out Antonio Jones in 40 seconds. We all thought he was, you know, a powerful striker. Almost all of his wins have come by, uh, you know, TKO, head kick. They all have, actually. So we were really expecting him to just swing and bang with Darren Stewart and have a really exciting fight, but that didn't happen at all. Uh, Shabazzian went out there and wrestled the whole fight. You know, he looked, he looked pretty sloppy doing it. He didn't look too technical doing it, but... You know, it's honestly, uh, it, it was a good sign, despite him, you know, looking a little sloppy in there. It was a good sign to see that he could recognize an opponent's strength, which is Stewart's striking, and then, you know, use anything possible to avoid that. Uh, you know, his first fight in the UFC, he, you know, wants to get his feet wet before he goes out there and just throws down with uh, Darren Stewart, a, a proven guy in the UFC who's been in ball uh, brawls, who's been, you know, tested, had his chin tested and came back in one fight so you know Shabazzian was like fuck that noise I'm just gonna take him down because he doesn't have any wrestling any ground game and he won the fight that way it was close and like I said it wasn't pretty but he, he got the he got the W in his debut I, I have a feeling he will be more comfortable in this fight he will you know, look to unleash the, his hands a little more and, and uh, get his striking going. But, you know, Bird's no slouch on the feet. I think that these two are, you know, their ground games will cancel out. Bird actually might even have the better ground game. And then, uh, you know, it's really going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be the first time we're seeing Shabazzian's uh, strike, uh, you know, go punch for punch with the guy in the UFC. You know, he might have had some stand-up exchanges with Stewart in that fight, but, man, that was really like a clinch fest and a takedown uh, fight. So... 
you know, this one's going to be tough to call, but I think the bird has more tools. I think, like I said, he has a slightly better ground game. I think it's going to be pretty evenly matched on the feet. Both of these guys have pretty bad cardio. I think bird actually has the worst cardio between the two. We saw Shabazzian go the distance in his last fight. Looked pretty gassed doing it, but bird, you know, gassed out maybe in the second round versus Stewart, and that's what led to the knockout. So uh, I think I trust Shabazzian's cardio a little more. And if this one goes to the, the scorecards, I think uh, Shabazzian has a better chance to edging it out but if it's a finish in this one i think it'll be bird getting it possibly a submission uh you know maybe even a knockout so um the pick i guess i'll side with bird but it's not a confident one it would probably be a dog or pass at these odds and it's going to be a good fight next fight in the welterweight division we have mickey gall who is five and one taking on diego sanchez who is 28 and 11 the opening betting line for this one was Mickey Gall at minus 210 to Diego Sanchez at plus 160. Looking over at five dimes right now, we see Diego Sanchez plus 200, Mickey Gall at minus 240. So initially, a ton of action came in on Mickey Gall. His line got all the way as low as minus 350 you know, earlier this week. And then uh, there's just been a steady amount of action coming in on Diego Sanchez because you know, people realize that, you know, Mickey Galders, you know, is very overhyped. He has had a couple nice wins in the UFC, but, you know, look at the level of competition he's fought. He fought old man George Sullivan in his last fight. He lost to Randy Brown in that fight where he was actually outgrappled by Randy Brown. You know, he his best win being over Sage Northcutt by far, uh, again, the, the, the choke in that fight after he rocked Northcutt with a punch. He definitely showed his best stand-up skills and his best uh, grappling skills in that fight. But you look before that, and he, he, he ch choked out CM Punk, and he choked out Mike Jackson in both of their pro fights, Ron Templeton. All those guys were in their first fight, you know, so... I think that uh, Mickey Gall is, is, you know, very overrated. The fact that he was minus 350 versus Diego Sanchez is crazy. I think we're all going to look back at that no matter who, who wins or loses this weekend and think that that was crazy. Diego Sanchez has never been submitted in his career. The dude's got, you know, 39 fights. He's been in the UFC for 15 years, some shit like that. Has fought the who's who of killers, you know, generations of top-level lightweights, welterweights. And Diego Sanchez has hung in there with, you know, most of them. Uh, you know, only getting finished by a few. You know, he, you know, we've seen him get knocked out by, you know, Lozon, Iaquinta, Matt Brown recently. But before that, his only stoppage loss was by, to BJ Penn by, uh, you know, that was a, a stoppage because the doctor, uh, you know, he had a huge cut in that fight. But that's the only other time he's been knocked out, you know. So he's definitely tough to finish. He only really loses to technical strikers, you know. And, and you know, Diego Sanchez's last fight was really impressive. He's facing Craig White, uh, a, a big, tall, long guy who is, you know, really known for his submissions. His Definitely his submission threat is, uh, is his biggest talent is Craig White. But Diego Sanchez was taking him down, was, you know, stacking him up against the fence, landing ground a pound. And, you know, he's getting up kicked a little bit while doing it, but he didn't seem to mind at all. He was, you know, keeping that top pressure heavy, and he remained on top for almost the whole fight, winning that fight via unanimous decision. So, you know, if, if Mickey, Mickey Gall can certainly still tap him out, I'm not saying that's impossible for it to happen. But he was—he would have to have a really slick back take. He would have to maybe hurt Diego with a punch first, which I think is going to be difficult to do, because Mickey Gall striking is not very good. 
And, you know, I think that this has a good chance at looking a lot like the Craig White fight. You know, if Gall's looking desperate for his takedowns, I don't think he has he has very good takedowns. He likes pulling guard. Um, anytime you swarm him on the feet, man, he has terrible defense. He pulls guard when he gets, you know, if a person's throwing a four or five punch combo, he'll he'll duck under, pull guard, and just hope he can, you know, get some, uh, you know, a little bit of comfort that way, uh, you know, negate that striking but, you know, Gall is super uncomfortable on the feet. So if Sanchez is able to mix up the striking in this fight, I think it's even it's going to be even more in Sanchez's favor. Uh, if it's straight grappling, I still really like Sanchez's chances. You know, the dude's been, I'm sure he's a black belt by now. He's been, you know, wrestling, grappling with, you know, like I said, the best guys. You know, uh, Kenny Florian, BJ Penn, um, Sean Shirk. He, he's been fighting these guys for, for 10, 15 years. So making Gall is nothing to him. I think me, uh, Diego Sanchez is definitely the mo the most well-rounded, most uh, accomplished fighter that Mickey Gall has ever fought, and I don't think Mickey Gall is in the top twenty fighters that San Diego Sanchez has ever fought. So, the fact that Sanchez was uh, almost three to one at some points it was insane. I definitely hopped in on uh, some action on. Uh, on my boy Diego Sanchez at plus 285 uh, you know right now his his um his points handicap line again that that points handicap line I was talking about earlier plus 3.5 is plus 115 for Diego Sanchez that means if he goes to the scorecards and it's a competitive decision 29 28 for Gaul or he wins the decision or he submits Gaul or something like that then your bet cashes the only chance that, that you lose his bet is if Gaul isn't able to take his back and submit him so you know, you could bet this. You could bet uh, Sanchez by uh, by points handicap, and then go ahead and bet Gall by submission of plus two forty four, and that's guaranteed profit right there. So, I think there's a few spots like that in this card, and I'll continue to elaborate on the points handicap as we go. But the pick is going to be the big upset in Diego Nightmare Sanchez, and he is going to uh, you know shock the world and uh, you know win a decision over the uh, younger uh, Mickey Gall in this one. So the pick Sanchez to get it done by decision. Moving on to the next fight in the Bantamweight division, we have Alejandro Perez, who is 21-6-1, taking on Cody Stammen, who is 17-2. Looking at uh, the opening betting line for this one, Cody Stammen opened minus 155, Alejandro Perez plus 115. Looking over at our affiliate at sportsbook5dimes.eu, a lot of action coming in on Cody Stammen, pushing him to minus 200, Alejandro Perez up to plus 170. So... There's uh, definitely two-way action coming in on this fight, but it's definitely more one-sided towards Cody Stammen. I definitely believe that Cody Stammen should be the favorite in this fight, but I, I don't think I could I lay the chalk at minus 200 where it is right now. There's just, you know, it's too much unknown about Cody Stammen. He's, he's I wouldn't say unknown. I mean, he, we, we've seen a, a lot of him in the, the octagon so far. He's had almost an hour of fight time, so... We definitely have like a pretty accurate assumption of where his skills are at currently, and you know his his takedowns are great, man. He will he he blasts takedowns. He's got really powerful wrestling, um, but you know he he's a little reckless a little bit too. We saw that in the fight against uh, Aljamain Sterling his last fight. He got caught with a knee bar in that fight. He was really just out grappled by a, a more of a jujitsu guy in Aljamain Sterling. Now Sterling has great wrestling and great striking as well. He, as we learned in uh, a couple weeks ago, he's really one of the top five bantamweights in the world right now. And Stammen ran into him in his last fight, but 
you know, Stammen is, uh, he likes, you know, spamming, spamming shots. He likes throwing, you know, uh, a couple punches and then blasting for a takedown. And, uh, you know, I think that Prez is a little bit weak like that. I think that sometimes, sometimes he can get caught, uh, you know, he can get taken down after, you know, someone disguises it with a few punches. We saw that in the Matthew Lopez fight. Lopez would throw a few, you know, powerful hooks, and right when Perez starts thinking about the striking, uh, Matthew Lopez changes levels and gets the takedown. Uh, Lopez actually got a few takedowns in that fight, and I, I really don't rate Matthew Lopez too highly. I mean, he has decent takedowns, but as a fighter, he is, you know, uh, pretty low level. But uh, Perez, I believe, will have the advantage in the striking in this fight. I think he's the more comfortable striker in this one. But I don't think either guy has very good defense. You know, they could, you know, get into a brawl on the feet. And, you know, either one of them could get uh, caught with a punch and, you know, possibly go down in this one. But I don't see it happening. I see this one going by decision. Uh, you know, uh, Prez, you know, uh, he has good sub defense. You know, he'll get taken down and, you know, try to blast back. Uh, blast back up to his feet he'll explode with some power sometimes he'll get his back taken but he doesn't really care too much because he's got good sub defense uh we saw that in the matthew lopez fight he defended a back attack from him so and he's also good at using the cage so if stamina wants to take prez down i would recommend him doing it in the center of the octagon where prez doesn't have that uh that cage to help him get up uh you know he's actually pretty good at cage walking after he gets taken down so uh, I think Stammen will be able to hit the takedowns, but even when he does hit the takedowns, he still has a, a, a way of getting in a close fight. We saw that against Dukensoy and against Caraway, both split decision fights where he was, you know, successful with the takedown in that fight, but, you know, his opponents were, you know, able to get up. Uh, you know, Stammen's top control is not good. He will get you down to the ground, but sometimes he really doesn't do the most with it he's got some he's got decent ground and pound i guess but you know in terms of holding position he's not very good at that so perez could be, get back up to his feet and make some uh make the standing stand up exchanges interesting and make this a closer fight on the scorecards but i think ultimately stamina will edge out a close split decision so you know I, like i said stamina should be the favorite maybe minus 150 uh you know so where the odds are now i guess there's value on perez but i think he will lose this fight so just be uh back with caution in that one next fight in the light heavyweight division we have misha sirkunov who is 14 and 4 taking on johnny walker who is 16 and 3 the opening betting line for this one was Johnny Walker at minus 215 to Misha Sukurnov at plus 165. Looking over at five dimes right now, we see Walker at minus 150, Sukurnov at plus 130. So most of the action on this fight coming in Misha Sukurnov's way, and I agree with it. You know, Johnny Walker has made a lot of noise the past couple months, you know, making his UFC debut, knocking out Khalil Roundtree. Um, and then, you know, getting that, uh, that really, really impressive first round finish over Justin Ledette only a few weeks ago, February 2nd. So quick turnaround, one month turnaround, but, but he literally took no damage in that fight. And, you know, he might've had to ice his hands a little bit after the fight, but it seemed like, I mean, he, he barely was in a fight that night. He literally just went in that cage, did a couple spins and knocked Justin Ledette out. Like it was nothing. So the dude has crazy striking, man. He's a he's a hell of a character. He's you know dancing on his way to the octagon. I like I like his his steez. I like the way he you know carries himself. He's a very funny guy. But you know it's hard hard to get a, a good sense of you know uh, where his skills are at. You know the dude has is fought six times in two thousand or 
six times in 2018, the dude's a madman fighting like one week after. He fought, uh, you know, he had a tough fight against some guy named Makiovic, uh, some Polish gentleman. I watched that fight on March 11th, 2018. That He was taken down in that fight. Uh, you know, his opponent eventually gassed out and then uh, Johnny Walker finished him. He fought six days later after having uh, an eight-minute professional fight with that Makiewicz gentleman, and then went uh, went on to defeat a guy named Cheek Cone uh, six days later. So, you know, he's just, uh, you know, seems like he's obsessed with MMA. He, he, he believes in himself, and, uh, you know, that that's scary sometimes. Uh, you know, so getting over to the other side of this fight, uh, Misha Sarkunov, um, you know, is a guy who's, you know, been been a little inconsistent in the UFC. He made his, uh, you know, he, he picked up a few, win, uh, went on a, few, a win streak of uh, Daniel Jolly, Alex Nicholson, Ian Kutaleba, and Nikita Krylov, some really nice wins and submissions, and that all four finishes now in his force first four UFC fights. Then he got knocked out by Volkan Ozdemir by, you know, a short punch to the back of the head. He got taken down and ground and pound TKO'd by Glover Teixeira, uh, which was, you know, questionable losses. But, you know, he he, he seems to, uh, you know, sometimes he just isn't fully awake in the fight, maybe. I don't know. He, like, he, he started both of those fights and, you know, just wasn't ready, I guess. And Ozdemir hit him with some shots and put him away. Uh, Glover, you know, took him down, pounded him out. But uh, he did bounce back with a nice win over Patrick Cummins, was able to take down a really good grappler and, and wrestler in Patrick Cummins and then get the, the tap on him via arm triangle. So, you know, I, I, I really like Misha Sirkunov's chances in this fight. I think that he should not really mess around with the feet uh, too much with Walker, even though Sirkunov is pretty skilled on the feet. He's got good kicks. He's got some good, uh, you know, some good boxing. He's just very chinny on the feet. He gets hit. His defense is not that great. And, you know, Walker can hit him with some unorthodox shit. But, uh, you know, Sarkunov could hit Walker, too. You know, Walker does not play much into defense. He, he's really just thinking offense, offense, offense at all times. You know, throwing his spinning attacks and his high kicks and his elbows. He's got a really diverse, uh, you know, striking attack. But, uh, you know, th- th- this fight is really going to, uh, you know, the area I'm looking at it the most is the ground for Sirkunov. I think Sirkunov is going to look for takedowns. He's going to look to be heavy on Walker, and he's going to look for that submission. And if that fight with uh, the Polish gentleman, Makiewicz, if you watched that fight, you saw that Walker was taken down fairly easily. He does not have much takedown offense, and he's not very good at getting off of his back. Doesn't have much jujitsu skill. So I think that Sirkunov will have a massive advantage on the ground. And honestly, on the feet, it's going to be pretty close too because you know don't be fooled by you know Walker's you know flashy knockouts that he he's not technical at all he does not have good defense at all so Sukronov is you know a little more traditional a little more defense oriented he could certainly catch Walker on the feet so you know uh, I mean, I wouldn't be totally shocked if Sirkunov comes out here and, you know, is not, you know, not there in the first round like he was against uh, Ozdemir or like he was against um, Glover and fights reckless and gets, you know, TKO'd by, or knocked out cold by Walker. That wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever. But I think Sirkunov comes in this fight. He fights smart. He gets the takedown and he gets the submission over Johnny Walker. So this pick is going to be Sirkunov um, via submission. 
Next fight in the featherweight division, we have Zabit Magomed Sharapov, who is 16 and 1, taking on Jeremy Stevens, who is 28 and 15. The opening betting line for this one is Zabit at minus 300, Jeremy Stevens at plus 220. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, FiveDimes.eu, we see Zabit at minus 245, Jeremy Stevens plus 205. So actually, the more action coming in on this fight. On Jeremy Stevens, you know, pretty surprising. Uh, you know, Zabit Magomed Sharapov is just, you know, uh, an elite level talent in the UFC at this point so far. And even though he's only had, I think, four fights, you know, he has just shown some of the most diverse arsenal of skills that we have ever seen in the octagon. Now, who knows how well his career will, you know, play out, well, whether he will continue to adapt, continue to beat the top guys, you know, continue that path to the championship. I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I like his chances at it, but, you know, I'm not guaranteeing he will get to a title shot. But as far as this guy's skill set, man, he is just uh, incredible, man. Some of the you know, I could go on and on about the things that he does right. His best thing he does right, I think, is his distance control. The way he does this, like he's a high-level kickboxer. The only time you see guys who, you know, are as comfortable with him on the feet and have good head movement on the feet are guys like Israel Adesanya, guys who fought professional kickboxing, professional Muay Thai, you know, fought in glory kickboxing. It's just a level of skill that you only can really get if you have pro kickboxing experience. But Somehow, uh, Zabit is able to do it. it. You know, it definitely has to play with his uh, his sambo experience. He's been, you know, a uh, martial artist since a, a young boy. He's been competing in sambo. I'm sure he's done, you know, kickboxing. I'm sure he's done all types of competitions throughout his career. And it just has, you know, a plethora of experience to go uh, to go along with his, his skills. But, you know, his head movement, man, you know, you saw in the Kyle Bosniak fight, he just moves out of, moves out of the way of punches. Unlike very few people in the UFC do, you know, the UFC is the highest level of uh, MMA organization in the world, and I'd say head movement is one of the most rare skills that we see in the octagon. It's just, you know, it's just something that MMA fighters are not really too concerned about. They're more concerned with offense or, you know, or uh, uh, different ways to avoid punches, usually just eating punches clean instead of avoiding them at all. You know, the tall men's defense we see a lot in, in MMA. You know, Zabit, Zabit, you know, is a tall guy. He does, you know, sort of lean back with the tall man's defense. But, you know, it's a, there's just very little chance he gets caught with those punches. He's been, you know, swung at so many times over his career and has evaded those punches by centimeters so many times that he's just so comfortable in that octagon to the point where he can use the tall man's defense and you know be very safe he, like, we saw that against the Kyle Boschnak fight you know Boschnak was swinging bombs against him against the cage and you're thinking oh man you know Rogan was going to Boschnak's tagging him he's hurting Zabit you watch that fight in slow motion and Zabit is avoiding almost every punch or rolling with every punch you know Rogan's commentary in that fight was pretty exaggerated so uh, you know, Zabit's kicks are incredible. His trips, he's got great, like, takedown trips. He doesn't really... He doesn't really need to wrestle too much. He doesn't need to, you know, die for your legs or go for single legs. He can just trip you with his legs like those Muay Thai dumps or, you know, it's still wrestling, an outside trip, but he does it effortlessly, man. Uh, you know, he's got good boxing. He, he hits hard. He's got, you know, good uppercuts, good jabs. 
and you know he he can take you down and once he gets you on the ground man his submission arsenal is is vast we've seen him hit get anacondas we've seen him hit the 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 pull up stretch knee bar in his last fight against Brandon Davis uh and uh you know I'm, I think he might have finished uh Mike Santiago uh that was anaconda yeah rear naked choke anaconda knee bar you know he's got guillotines he's got rear naked he's you know um He's just, a, like I said, a huge, huge arsenal on the ground. And, you know, I've been talking about Zabit alone for three minutes. And, you know, it, he deserves it because, uh, like I said, just a special town. I'm, uh, you know, I just, I've been fortunate enough to see him fight in person. I, I was at that fight versus Kyle Boschnak. And, and, man, I, let me just tell you, it was it was probably the best f- combat sports fight I've ever seen. It was just, you know, you know, the heart of Bosnak was on full display. The technique of Zabit was on full display. I'm Even though I was sitting, you know, 300 feet away, I could admire his takedowns, admire his head movement, admire his kicks, his trips, everything. And, you know, just re-watching that fight a few days ago, it still blows my mind some of the techniques that Magomed Sharapov was able to pull off during that fight. You had Joe Rogan going, oh, come on. Like, you know, he was... Like it's just shit that you you see in in the gym sometimes, and you see people do it in like judo maybe, but you know you just don't see that in the UFC level. But Magomed Sharapov is implementing those high risk uh, take uh, takedowns and uh, techniques, and he's having success with them. So enough about Zabi. We'll talk about his opponent, Jeremy Stevens, who you know even though I've been sucking the dick of uh, Zabi for the past five minutes, I love Jeremy Stevens too, man. One of my favorite fighters. You know, to ever fight in the UFC, this guy almost never has boring fights. He goes balls to the wall all the time. You know, he uh, you know, and he had a great 2018, picking up two second round knockouts over Duhua Choi and Josh Emmett, and then eventually, you know, getting uh, that that suffering that loss to Jose Aldo via that wicked body shot and that ground and pound in the first round of that fight. And uh, you know, we had Stevens come out since then that said, you know, that that fight that loss sent him into you know a a, a state of uh, depression. You know, for the whole the, pretty much the past couple months, he was you know super depressed and you know even had you know some suicidal thoughts. But luckily, his coach and good friend Eric Del Fiero uh, enlisted him in some counseling and uh, Steven said he's feeling much better and you know that's that just goes to show you that even if even if you have two knockouts in the UFC earlier that year you're on a you were just coming off a win streak you still have that job where you can get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight in a cage and you're one of the toughest and most violent sons of bitches that ever walked in the octagon that none of that shit matters man you can still you know, fall into that state of depression, you can still go down that, that road of mental health, and, you know, that shit is no joke, so, uh, you know, I uh, just, I'm thankful to have Jeremy Stevens uh, still here with us, thankful that he's still fighting this weekend, and I hope that he can pr- uh, pull off, you know, one of the best performances of his career, um, you know, it's, it's, this fight is just so hard to pick, because, like I said, I got a lot of love for Stevens, and, you know, the, the technique of, uh, of Magomed Sherpov is just, you know, so admirable, that it's tough to pick, to, to, to pick a guy to cheer for in this fight but you know thinking about the matchups you know i if you can't tell I, I believe this fight is my favorite fight on the card all weekend you know maybe my favorite fight of the year so far um so let's talk about the matchup and how this fight is going to play out uh, we're gonna um you know stevens has got uh you know great powerful boxing he's got a powerful leg kick too man he'll he'll shut your leg down with that that kick and i think that he will be looking to spam that kick early in this fight because magomed sherpov a guy who relies on distance uh uh, a guy who relies on his uh, legs, his movement, his his footwork a lot. He needs those legs behind him, and if he's got a dead calf from a, a leg kick from uh, Jeremy Stevens, then it's going to be hard to do that. But 
Uh, I, I do favor Zabit in this fight for a few different reasons. Uh, Stevens has, uh, you know, had trouble with st technical strikers who jab and leg kick a lot in their fights, which, you know, Zabit does. He uses a lot of uh, leg kicks along with uh, body kicks, head kicks, spinning kicks, and he has a really great jab as well. So I think that Stevens is going to have a little bit of trouble with that. He's going to, if he's if he gets stuck on the outside on that, that long striking range, that kicking range, then I think Zabi will pick Stevens apart all day long. But if Stevens is able to successfully close that distance and get in a boxing range, that's when this fight gets really interesting. Because, uh, you know, Bochniak did have some success with boxing in that fight. He definitely landed some punches in that fight, and he was just marching forward, eating shots, and you know, just he was he was content to eat shots to close that distance, which is exactly what you have to do against you know a technical long striker like Zabit. So Stevens is going to be looking to do that again. He's going to be looking to blitz in that pocket, look for those uh, big bombs, and try to test that chin of Magomed Sharapov, but. It's going to be tough to do because Sharapov's, uh, you know, his, his distance control, his head moving, his jab, his, everything is so good. It's going to be hard to, to pierce that guard of Zabi. But uh, another, another, you know, where this fight is competitive is on the feet. It's it's certain, I, wouldn't, I would say 60-40 in the favor of uh, Zabi. But where the fight has a more clear advantage is for Zabi on the ground. I think that, you know, he will be able to hit takedowns against uh, Stevens, you know, almost, I wouldn't say at will, but I would say that Zabi will be able to get him down uh, without much trouble you know like because you just have no idea what's coming you know most most guys when you're when you have the threat of get, going to the floor you're thinking a double leg or a single leg but Zabi can take you down in so many different ways with the trips with you know catching kicks or you know or mixing it up with the traditional wrestling shot so it's going to be tough for Stevens to, to keep this fight on the feet and then once this fight gets on the floor even though Stevens does have very good uh, sub defense we saw that in the Charles Oliveira fight Oliveira was not able to submit Stevens after getting him on the ground you know Zabit will probably win rounds against Stevens he will you know keep that top pressure he's got wicked top pressure and he could even snatch a sub in this fight so you know wherever this fight goes I slightly favor uh, Zabit but I would uh, you know certainly not be sh I mean I would be a little bit shocked to see uh, uh, Stevens you know uh, somehow close that distance and test the chin of uh, Sharapov possibly getting a TKO uh, I would be you know delightfully surprised to see Stevens do that you know with the rough patch he's had in his life lately it would be great to see him get another uh, get a, a huge win like this but uh, the pick is going to be Zabit and you know this fight is just going to be uh, you know a fucking masterpiece so uh, definitely tune into this fight smart move that the UFC is putting it on the I believe it's on the ESPN yeah uh, the the headliner of ESPN so this fight will hopefully will get you know millions of viewers and get to show off uh, MMA to the world so with that being said we're going to move on to the main card of the pay-per-view which starts off in the Bantamweight division, we have Cody Garbrandt, who is 11 and 2, taking on Pedro Munoz, who is 17 and 3. Uh, Cody Garbrandt opened up as the minus 185 favorite to Pedro Munoz at plus 145. Right now, at five dimes, we see Cody Garbrandt minus 135, Pedro Munoz at plus 115. Uh, you know, shocking where the line is at right now. Cody Garbrandt, former Bantamweight champion. 
you know, only a year ago was the champion, and uh, you know now he's minus 135 against Pedro Munoz. Not saying Pedro Munoz isn't a great fighter because he is; he's a very well-rounded fighter. But man, you know, it's just those two TJ losses uh, that Cody suffered. You know, who knows how much they will have an impact on his career? Obviously, we see it in the betting line already. You know, if you know this fight happened a year and a half ago, uh, Garbrandt could have been minus three or four hundred, but. You know, after Garbrandt suffered those two knockout losses, you know, who knows where he's at. Um, who, who's at, knows where he's at mentally, uh, physically. His chin could have suffered from those two knockouts, and he could have never really recovered. And, you know, you know, your chin better be intact when you're fighting Pedro Munoz because he has, you know, great boxing, great pressure, and is going to be, you know, testing that chin for sure. But, uh, honestly, I think this fight's going to be a firefight. I just don't see any way it could, can't be. You know, they are both. Uh, maybe T Cody could be technical, fight behind a jab, fight like he did versus um, Cody, uh, Dominic Cruz. But you know, uh, Garbrandt was able to get some takedowns in that fight against uh, Page against. Uh, Dominic Cruz. I don't think he's going to be able to do that against Pedro Munoz. He might be able to take him down, but Pedro Munoz has one of the best guillotines in MMA. So I would not advise that Cody Garbrandt uh, try to shoot on Munoz because I, I do rate Munoz as the better grappler, even though uh, Garbrandt has a really solid wrestling background. I just really wouldn't trust, uh, you know, sticking my neck out there uh, for a takedown versus Munoz. So this fight, I think, will be contested on the feet where, it, you know, it will be uh, pretty uh, evenly contested. It's, uh, you know, I think uh, Garbrandt should have the slight advantage, but it's just, you know, how much can you trust Cody Garbrandt after those two losses fighting his arch nemesis? You know, he, he drops him in the first round of their first fight, starts talking all this shit, getting cocky, saying you're not getting out of this round before the round starts. Then he get you know ducks under a head kick in that first round and starts showboating again. That oh you missed me with that head kick. A minute goes by, he gets dropped by the same head kick, and then finished a minute later by his arch nemesis via you know he gets dropped by the boxing and then eventually finished by uh, T.J. Dillashaw. You know that that was a huge detriment to his confidence in his chin. You know he lost his undefeated record against his arch nemesis. He lost his belt. Uh, good thing he gets a second chance to you know get another crack at it, even though he totally didn't deserve the rematch. Hopefully he's made the right adjustments, uh, you know, corrected that boxing defense in the pocket. He's not going to get caught in that same exchange like he did versus T.J. Dillashaw. And then he goes out and he gets caught in the exact same mistake as he did in the first fight. You know, he didn't get caught with a head kick this time, but the same thing. He, he was exchanging with TJ in the pocket and he his defense suffered. He, you know, whenever he, he stands, his, his feet were standing still. He wasn't using any footwork. He was just trading in the pocket super emotionally. And then he get caught. And, you know, he was dropped and finished again in that fight, via, you know, with a, a, a barrage of punches from Dillshaw. So, you know, who knows where the, the head of Garbrandt is at if he has tightened up that defense. Because, you know, if he hadn't fixed the, the errors in his boxing defense after the first time he was knocked out, you know, you'd hope that he'd fix it after the second time he was knocked out. But can you really be confident in it? No, you, no, you cannot, in my opinion. Uh, you know, where the price is at now, it is, is, it's bettable. You know, at minus 135 for the former champion who, you know, might have the more technical boxing, but I would stay away from it. You know, I don't really think, uh, I'd say it's favorite or pass. I mean, you know, Munoz at minus one or plus 115 isn't great value, I don't think. I think he will, you know, Munoz will have to put on the best fight of his life uh, in this fight to, um, 
to win it. But you know, he's got a good jab. He's he, he rips the body with his bro- boxing. He could easily drag Garbrandt into a brawl and then test that chin. But uh, you know, M- Munoz is hittable as well in the feet. You know, you saw that in the fight against Rob Font. He he was he's content to eat some punches sometimes. He, sometimes a lot of punches. You know, he was able to finish and choke out Rob Font later in that first round, but he definitely got tagged with a good amount of punches by Rob Font in that fight, who's not nearly the the technical striker that um, Garbrandt is, even though he is a very skilled boxer of his own right. So it's going to be a really, really close fight on in this one. Uh, I, I favor Garbrandt slightly because... Um, you know, I think that Munoz is just a little bit too hittable on the feet. I, I'd like to think that that Garbrandt would have uh, fixed up his, his boxing defense by now. And if, if he does it, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be re- they're gonna have to do some real hard thinking over a team alpha male what they want to do with Cody Garbrandt's career. Well, that would be three losses in a row. If this fight, if Garbrandt loses this fight, I honestly see it being a by finish. He either gets uh, tapped out or uh, or knocked out or choked out. So that would be, you know, uh, a huge, huge derailment to Garbrandt's career. So I honestly hope he can get the win in this one. I think he he still has a lot of potential. I'm sure he could get back to the the title at some point if he if he fixes the holes in his game. So the pick is going to be Garbrandt, but it's not a super confident one. But this is going to be a great fight to kick off the pay per view. Next fight in the women's strawweight division, we have Tisha Torres, who is 10 and 3, taking it on Wheelie Wheelie <laughs> Wheelie Zhang, who is 18 and 1. Uh, the betting line for this one opened up Tisha Torres as the plus 125 underdog to Zhang at minus 165. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, Five Dimes.eu, we see. Tisha Torres plus 100 now, uh, Willie Zhang at minus 120. So more action coming in on Torres's way. Uh, you know, it's uh, this one's a close fight. It's gonna be. Uh, I think it will be a close decision. So I really can't knock the people betting on uh, Torres in this spot. But uh, you know, I slightly just favor uh, Willie Zhang in this one. Uh, she, I think she's a little bit better everywhere. Um, you know, we've seen uh, Torres in the octagon a, a lot more. She's definitely fought the the better competition, but you know, she's come up short uh, in the the biggest fights of her career. You know, against uh, Andrade, against uh, Ian Jacek. You know, certainly there's no shame in these losses. Some of the best women in the world. Uh, you know, uh, Nami Yunus, Esparza, Marcos. You know, all of those all of those women. Um, Except for yeah, Jacek are, are primarily grapplers. You know, Nami Yunus has evolved her game over time, but you know she started as you know a jujitsu girl. But uh, you know, so but Tisha is you know she's well rounded too. This one, this one, that's why I said this fight is so close. Uh, Tisha, she's got good boxing. She's strong in the clinch. You know, she's a really muscular girl. I think she will be stronger than uh, Zhang in this one. But uh, you know, Torres was taken down by Michelle Waterson in, in her fight. You know, a few times. Um, you know, she was, you know, looked like she wanted to get up, looked like she had the desire to get off her back, but she just didn't quite have the technique to do it, honestly. And, uh, she, uh, you know, 
was kind of stuck on her back for a, a good amount of that fight. She was able to win round one and three of that fight versus Waterson. Um, you know, she can threaten with a sub from time to time off of uh, to get off her back. She's not really looking to submit. She'll just, you know, get taken down and then throw up an arm bar and then, you know, scramble back to her feet where she's more comfortable, which is, you know, a, a technique that uh, comes, in, comes in handy a lot in MMA. It could even in this fight. I think Zhang will look for takedowns in this one. She's got good trip takedowns, you know, the outside trip in, in the clinch. She'll push you up against the cage and then just drop you with an, uh, an outside or uh, outside trip or inside trip. And once she gets on top, she's got heavy top pressure, man. She's, you know, it's going to be hard for Torres to get uh, off of her back if she gets on her back in this one. And Zhang's going to punish her if she gets her there. She's got good ground and pound. She likes using elbows. She, uh, you know, is, uh, she's very heavy and she has good ground and pound, it does Zhang. She also has the ability to snatch up a sub, you know, a lot more. I think she's got like something like, uh, of her 18 wins, like I think 15 or 16 of them are by uh are by finish. A lot of submissions in there. Um, she's you know very good on the feet as well. She's you know her boxing defense isn't great, you know, but she's got good uh, leg kick. She's got uh good body kick. She's very aggressive. She's constantly m marching forward while. I think Torres in a lot of her fights that her problem is she gets she gets backed up and she gets uh, you know uh, put on her back foot and that's where she fights that uh, most of her fights you know she did well against Andrade in her first fight she was able to you know move backwards against Andrade when she was but she was throwing heavy punches to make Andrade respect her on the feet and she actually stole round one versus Andrade all three judges gave that fight to Tisha Torres or gave that round to Tisha Torres, excuse me. Uh, so that was, you know, definitely the most, imp uh, one of the most, even though she lost that fight, that was really impressive that she was even able to win one round against Andrade in that fight. So this one's going to be close. If Torres is able to, you know, uh, get some respect from Zhang on her punches and getting and prevent Zhang from walking her down and landing takedowns and you know kicking her legs. You know this fight could get really interesting and Tisha Torres could steal this fights on the cards. But I think the most likely way this fight plays out is Zhang mixes it up with you know her kicks on the feet. She gets those takedowns. She wins rounds on tops. I don't think she'll submit uh, Torres, but I think that she will will win this fight on the scorecards. You know, Torres might steal one round, uh, you know, but I think that Zhang will win this one via decision. Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Robbie Lawler, who is 28 and 12, taking on Ben Askren, who is 18 and 0. The betting line for this one opened up Ben Askren as the minus 185 favorite, Robbie Lawler as the plus 145 underdog. Looking over at 5dimes.eu right now, we see. Ben Askren at minus 280, Robbie Lawler up to plus 240. So most of the action coming in on Ben Askren in this one. Uh, he actually dropped down all the way to minus 380 at one point, but slowly but surely action creeping up on Tywin, or excuse me, on uh, Robbie Lawler in this fight. Where the line is set at right now is much more accurate than where the lowest it has been at one point. You know, uh, Askren at minus 380 is a little ridiculous, but I do favor Askren in this fight. You know, uh, Askren making his UFC debut, a long-awaited UFC debut. You know, he's the champion in Bellator, champion in 1FC. He was retired and then, you know, was basically just waiting for the UFC to sign him. And then eventually the UFC actually traded 
Demetrius Mighty Mounts Johnson for Ben Askren to 1FC. And now Askren is finally in the UFC, and he seems like he fits right in, man. He, you know, he's already uh, on the poster of the pay-per-view. He's doing he's doing well on press conferences. He's, you know, cracking jokes with Dana White. He's, you know, he's very comfortable uh, where he's at. Uh, I don't think Octagon Jitters will be much of a problem for him. He's, you know, he's... He's been wrestling since he was, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure a young boy. He's been competing for 25, 30 years. I doubt this will be uh, much of a shocker for him. I mean, he's been probably envisioning himself in the UFC for the past 10 years. So uh, I really don't see him having any problem with octagon jitters. And I think that, uh, you know, he will win this fight. You know, he's, you know, one of the one of the best wrestlers in, in MMA right now. He's got, you know, relentless takedowns. Uh, you know, you can see that in pretty much all of his fights. He he looks looks to t- close the distance and go for the takedown right away. His striking is pretty pretty awful, honestly. You know, he you he does not fuck around on the feet at all. He does not, you know, play cute and try to try to mess around with the stand up and then go for a takedown. He pretty much just shoots on you right away. Which, you know, could be a flaw or, you know, could be a strength in this fight because, you know, I, I would not advised for uh askren to fuck around with robbie lawler on the feet i think that you know robbie lawler by uh, a country mile has the better striking in this fight he's got you know great boxing good kicks uh he's just you know one i wouldn't say one of the best fighters in ufc history but certainly one of the best welterweights of all time He's the former welterweight champion. He, you know, defended that belt uh, against Rory McDonald, Carlos Condit, and, you know, just absolute wars. Uh, you know, the guy has, you know, just been in the UFC for, for, you know, forever since, you know, 2004 or five. Yeah, 2004. That's fucking insane. You know, I think he, he did leave at some point, you know, went to lead XC strike force. But, you know, he's been around the game forever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a winnable fight for him. You know, Lawler could stuff the takedowns and, but you know, he's not going to stuff the takedowns for 15 minutes straight. I tell you that right now, Lawler, if he wants to win this fight, he's going to have to knock Askren out. He's going to have to, you know, uh, stuff that takedown and make the time on the feet pay. Uh, this is something that Conor McGregor did not do against, you know, Khabib. He was able to, you know, that was a striker versus grappler matchup. And, you know, Conor did not make those moments on the feet. You know, he did not take advantage as much as he should. So in order to win this fight, Lawler is going to have to stuff the top, stuff the shots and then uh, knock Askren out because, you know, Askren is just relentless with the takedown. He's relentless with his grappling. He's been training for five rounds for, you know, the the his most, you know, recent, you know, probably his last 10 fights have been scheduled for 10 rounds or five rounds, you know, the championship rounds. You know, Lawler is the same. You know, he has been, you know, I'm sure he'll have good cardio, but Lawler is coming off of an injury. He has not fought since December of 2017. Um, you know, he's, uh, and, you know, what, what it comes down to is Lawler's takedown defense in this fight. That's really what's going to make or break this one. Uh, you know, Lawler does have, you know, good wrestling, uh, you know, credentials. He's got good takedown defense. In general, I'd say he, he he's best at defending shots against the cage. If you watch the Johnny Hendricks fight, the uh, the second fight you uh, see you know uh, Robbie Lawler stuff uh, almost all of uh, Hendricks shots against the fence. Hendricks would just hang on his legs for minutes and minutes and minutes, and then the ref would either separate them or you know Robbie would find a way to separate. I think Hendricks did maybe take him down a few times off the cage, but most of the times where Hendricks had success with the takedown in that fight was in the middle of the cage where Lawler could not uh, get his back to the cage or could not cage walk if he was taken down. 
But, uh, you know, if Askren gets this fight to the floor, I, I, I see it as pretty much a wrap right away. He's going to, you know, he's going to get top pressure and he's going to keep top pressure. He's, he, he very rarely loses position on the ground. He's got great hand fighting. He'll trap your hand and then hit you with some ground and pound. He, he's, you know, he's really become an, uh, an art He's mastered the art of hand fighting, you know, just sitting in your guard and just, you know, trapping the hand, punching you, trapping the hand, elbowing you. He'll do that all day. Um, you know, it's not the most exciting fighting style, but it's, you know, it's effective. And he is, you know, beaten world championship level caliber with it before. You know, Douglas Lima, Andre Koryshkov, you know, a long time ago, those wins. But nonetheless, he's certainly, uh, you know, a well-established fighter outside the octagon. And I'm sure that he will continue that uh, that dominance inside the octagon. So I'm going to pick uh, Ben Askren to get the, this one done. I think he'll take down Lawler in the first round. Lawler's going to be so tired and so drained from, you know, defending the shot or, you know, just getting beat up on the ground that I don't think he'll carry that power he needs in, in the second and third round to knock out Askren. But, you know, it could certainly happen. Crazier things could have happened. But uh, it would pr it would shock me a lot if Lawler stuffs the shots and gets the uh, the knockout on this one. But a good way to play this fight, I believe, is by, um, you know, that points handicap line. This time the minus three and a half for Ben Askren in this one. So that means if Askren wins by four points or more, then you win the fight. If he finishes Lawler, you win the bet. The only time you don't win the bet is if Lawler finishes Askren or if uh, Askren wins 29-28 or Lawler wins a decision, which I you know think are pretty unlikely that happen. So the pick is going to be Askren to get it done by decision. I'm going to go 30-27 to a pretty uh, pretty dominant one, uh, dominant debut for Askren in this one. Next fight in the welterweight division, the welterweight title fight of the evening we have the champion tyron woodley 19 3 and 1 record taking on kamara usman who is 14 and 1 the opening betting line for this one was tyron woodley at minus 145 kamara usman at plus 105 right now looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes.eu we see woodley still at minus 145 kamara usman at plus 125 so uh, tons of two-way action coming in on this fight. We saw Woodley go all the way down to minus 200 earlier this week, and now we see him, you know, back up to minus 145, where the line opened at. Really surprising line movement, honestly. You know, we saw Usman at plus 170 just like three days ago, and now he's plus 125. So a lot of action coming in on Usman these past couple days. It, interesting, you know, the, maybe the sharps out there see something we don't. You know, maybe they. Um, Maybe they did some. They, they found some some clue that's leading them to put all this action on Usman. But honestly, I don't see it. I think the chosen one will win this fight. Uh, I think he will retain his belt. Uh, you know, Woodley is just you know one of the pound for pound uh, best in the world right now. And you know, he's he's got great wrestling, offensive and defensive. You know, uh, he he can he can stuff a takedown or he can hit one himself. I think he's got like ninety seven percent takedown accuracy in the UFC. Uh, I think maybe he was taken down by Rory or something like that, but you know his IQ is just you know off the charts in there. He he fights so smart. You know he sometimes he gets labeled a boring fighter, but you know he's just a technician. When he fights a striker, he fights technical, and he you know he'll hit takedowns or you know win that fight. You know base you know he uh, sometimes in a low output decision his fights against Wonder Boy were you know a little boring. He had to fight those fights extra smart, and he had to uh, you know. 
lure Wonder Boy into a low level uh, or a low output kickboxing match, and he won both of those fights, or he drawed in one of them. But I uh, honestly thought he won the fight that he drawed in, and he might even lost the fight that he won in. So who knows? I mean, I can't, I can't sit through that boring fight and score it for 25 minutes. So I will truly never know who won that fight. But you know, he Woodley's got excellent counter punching. We saw that in his most recent fight against Darren Till. Darren Till threw that lead uppercut, and Woodley saw it coming a mile away and just countered right over the top in the overhand right and dropped Darren Till. So he's got he's got power in the hands. You know, he's got a, a, his fair share of, not, of vicious knockouts. You know, Josh Kostek, he knocked out the champion Robbie Lawler to win the belt. He's defended the belt uh, four times. You know, he's, like I said, he's on his way to becoming one of the best welterweights in history. He is, you know, he won his last fight by submission as well. He's got, he's a, now black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's got great submissions. And, you know, uh, Usman is just going to really have his hands full in this fight. You know, he's certainly a capable fighter. I'm, I'm sure he's earned the title shot. I you know I certainly don't like the fact that they gave it to him over Colby Covington you know uh Colby was the interim champion he beat RDA first he earned the title shot you know uh there's sound bites of you know of Dana saying Colby versus Tyron is next and yeah Colby is getting the title shot and Colby went to the White House uh to meet Trump with the belt and they still somehow don't give him the belt I don't really understand uh you know the logic behind that but whatever the Usman versus Woodley is happening. I'm sure Colby is next for whoever is whoever wins this fight. But you know, Usman he's got he's got some decent striking. I you know I just don't like the way he I don't like the way he boxes, man. He's very his feet are very set. You know he's got planted feet. His, his legs are very like long, and he you know he's just usually when he when he throws strikes, his feet are planted. He's heavy on his feet. And he just does. He I don't know. He's just awkward the way he throws fight, he punches. You watch the fight. You know, if you've seen any of his fights. You know the way that he strikes is weird. You know. Um, so honestly, I see that. I see that being a problem. I think the Woodley will just be able to counter punch uh, Usman in this one. You know, Usman likes. He likes pushing forward. He's got good output. He's got good pressure. He likes spamming some uh, some shots on the feet and then going for that takedown. But you know. If he tries that, tries that in this fight, I think that either he will get his takedown stuffed by Woodley with the best takedown defense in UFC history, or I think that Woodley will counterpunch his ass and you know possibly drop him with a punch because Usman just you know his defense is just not it's just not good. You know he he has fought a few good strikers, Leon Edwards, uh, uh, Warley Alves, you know uh, and. RDA is you know a decent striker of his own right, but you know he he really relied on wrestling in all those fights. But he's just not going to have that wrestling uh, advantage that he usually does in his uh, in his fights. You know Usman is really strong. I mean the way he fights, he's strong in the clinch. He'll push you up against the cage. He'll make it hard for you to move. But you know he's he's just a he's he's a pretty boring fighter. You know we've seen his fights against uh you know I think his three most recent fights uh, Emil Meek. Uh, Damian Maya and Rafael dos Santos. All three of those fights, pretty boring fights. Um, you know, I just uh, I really favor Woodley in this matchup. I think the chosen one will get it done. I think he has a good chance at knocking Usman out. 
uh, you know, maybe going for submission after he rocks him with a punch. Or, you know, I think he could win this one on the scorecards, too. I think that Woodley has good cardio. I think the idea that he has bad cardio is, you know, a little bit overhyped. You know, I, you know, it, it would be, I think it will be closer if this fight goes on the scorecards. I think, you know, Woodley could edge it out 48, 47, 49, 46. I don't think he'll, you know, dominate Usman five rounds to none if it goes to the cards. But uh, I think Woodley's best shot, best chances are, you know, getting it done early, you know, uh, counter punching Usman after, you know, Usman goes for that, that sloppy striking entry and uh, testing that chin. And, uh, you know, we will see the, the chosen one retain the belt in this one. So the pick is going to be Woodley, and I'm going to go with uh, get it done by TKO. In the main event of the evening, we have in the light heavyweight division for the light heavyweight championship, we have John Bones Jones, who is 23-1, make that 24-0, uh, versus Anthony Smith, who is 31-13. The opening betting line for this one was John Jones at minus 500, Anthony Smith at plus 350. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes right now, we see John Jones at minus 800, Anthony Smith at plus 550. So this line has honestly been going a little bit all over the place. Uh, it's, it has been out for um, you know six weeks now. It uh, got as low as looks like minus 1375 at some point. And uh, now it sits at you know minus eight hundred. I mean, honestly, where the fight it, it's probably more like minus thirteen hundred. You know, you don't see two big underdogs like you know plus five, six, seven, eight hundred in MMA that often. Um, so you know the casual money comes in on that huge underdog, which is probably what happened in Anthony Smith. I don't really think there's too many sharps out there picking picking Smith to pull off one of the biggest upsets of all time. Um, so. Uh, Matchup wise, you know John Jones needs no introduction. The the greatest of all time, the you know some of the, the best fight IQ of all time. One of you know top three best fight IQ. He's got great kicks. He's got incredible timing. He can set things up like no other fighter really can. He's you know solid defensively. Uh, on the feet, you know, I'd say his boxing defense is the only thing he doesn't do at an elite level. You know, you saw him get tagged a little bit by Daniel Cormier in, in their most recent fight. He, you know, uses that tall man's defense a little bit while he's, you know, in the clinch or in those dirty boxing exchanges. But, you know, Smith is not nearly the boxer that, that, that Daniel Cormier is. You know, yeah, Smith is, you know, he's a tough guy. He, he moved up from 185 pounds. He's looked much better since since then, you know, picking up three knockouts in a or three finishes in a row. You know, he, he knocked out Rashad Evans, you know, that knockout means nothing. Rashad Evans retired right after that was, you know, practically a dead corpse in there. He, uh, you know, finished uh shogun uh shogun hua in the first round which you know a lot of fighters have, have fought him recently and you know shogun has stood tall i think shogun's like four and one in his last five fights with his only loss being to anthony smith via knockout you know 90 seconds into that fight so you know maybe that uh that that win is a little more impressive than we think um and then, and then he did fight Vulcan Ozdemir in his last fight, winning that fight via rear naked choke. You know, he 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 looked good in that fight. He didn't look, you know, invincible, but he definitely showed, uh, you know, a little bit more of a diverse arsenal than he, you know, has than he was used to. He showed the ability to, you know, fight with a game plan. He knew Ozdemir was a dangerous striker in the first round. He, you know, withstood that that um 
that early onslaught from Ozdemir was able to drag it into the later rounds. The third round hit a takedown, get the back and uh, get the tap from Ozdemir. He recognized Ozdemir's ground game was his weakness, and you know it really exploited that in in that fight. You know. But in that first round, you know, he, he got hit with some shots. He definitely got tagged with a couple of right hands from Ozdemir. His striking defense is, you know, nowhere near perfect. You know, he definitely is, you know, hittable. He's definitely a little, uh, you know, his, like I said, his chin has looked better at 205. But, you know, have we really seen it tested? I mean, we saw it, you know, like I said, uh, Ozdemir hit him with a couple nice shots. But, you know, Sh uh, Shogun didn't hit him with anything and Rashad didn't hit him with anything. So... I think uh, we've really, truly not seen that chin tested of Smith, but uh, you know, at 85, his chin was a little bit suspect. He got uh, he got knocked out by uh, Maheta Santos. Um, you know, that was you know a crazy brawl in that fight. But uh, regardless, he actually got uh, finished with a body kick in that fight too. Not even you know, not even like some head strikes. So um, you know, I'd say that the Smith's chin is pretty solid. I don't really think that Jones has a good chance at you know rocking. Uh, Smith with a punch in this fight. I don't think he'll do it with a head kick. I don't think he'll mess around with the striking too much at all. I think Smith's path to victory in this fight is blitzing Jones and, uh, you know, trying to knock him out in the first round. You know, just starting balls to the wall and making him as, as uncomfortable as you can be. You know, we've seen Jones uncomfortable in round one before. We've seen him, you know, uh, maybe rocked by Machida a little bit, possibly rocked by Vitor a little bit. Uh, earlier in those fights, but you know Smith, not nowhere near the caliber of fighters that Machida and Vitor are. It's going to be a tough task for Smith to test the chin of of Jones in this one. You know something a fighter really has never done. We haven't really seen John Jones like hurt in the octagon almost ever. Uh, you know we've seen him retreating a couple times, like I said, versus Machida and Belfort, where he looked a little bit you know uncomfortable, but definitely not like you know rocked or you know super hurt or. Uh, didn't look like he had his legs underneath him at any moment. So, um, you know, the pick is obviously going to be the the John Bones Jones to retain the title. I think he, you know, I don't think he fucks around too long. I think he'll he'll go for the takedown possibly in round one and you know get that TKO victory. You know, like he did in his last fight where he just gets on your back, gets in mount, and pounds you out for a finish, or possibly you know, uh, since up a rear naked choke. Uh, or something, you know, I'd say rear naked is the most possible, uh, the most probable choke that happens, maybe, a, you know, an arm triangle or something like that, but, you know, the pick is going to be uh, the GOAT, uh, John Bones Jones, to get this one done, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, who knows what's next for him, he could fight, you know, I hope he fights Thiago Santos next, you know, the, the most deserving uh, light heavyweight who deserves the title shot, you know, who knows, though, he could fight uh, Daniel Cormier at heavyweight trying to get that that uh, double champ. He could fight uh, Lesnar in a you know super fight at heavyweight and you know make a, a shitload of money, have a super easy fight versus Lesnar. Um, you know the options are, are wide open for John Jones if he keeps if he keeps himself active. You know we did you know receive word today that Jones you know still has that metabolite in his system. You know he the test came back that the metabolite you know is still in his system you know i'm you know personally i'm not one of the the people who believes the fact that this is the same metabolite from uh jones's system from august of 2017 i'm sure that there's been some reingestion somehow i just don't think the scientists at usada and you know the bro scientists that are you know uh running usada usada have a way of proving it you know that's you know that's i'm not that's just not speculation like the, the doping science is not proven at all. It's evolving constantly, year by year. You know, the stuff that 
they're sa they're saying that it's evolving so quickly that we didn't pick up the metabolite in 2000 early 2018 the tests have gotten better in the past year to the point where they can pick out that metabolite that's that's the dumbest fucking thing i've ever heard the fact that the drug tests have gotten better from 2018 early 2018 to late 2018 to the point where they can just pick up extra metabolites from years ago that's the dumbest fucking thing i've ever heard i mean the science is evolving but the the the, the system in the, like you know the, the method in which they they analyze the results have not you know gotten magically better in the past year that's such a fake narrative there's so much you know there's so much bullshit going along with this this john jones you know steroids situation i'm not really i'm too concerned with it you know they're letting them fight they're giving them exemptions for whatever this metabolite is they might as well give everybody exemptions they might as well quit this usada bullshit they might as well quit these you know doping hearings where you get suspended for for you know taking substances or you know accidentally ingesting substances or something like that you know it's all it's all relative it's all you know a bunch of bullshit i think they should get rid of it i stated that multiple times in this program before and you know i'm sure john jones is charged up with whatever whatever supplements the special supplements he's on and he will uh, you know look uh you know like the greatest mixed martial arts ever that uh, has ever walked the planet earth again this saturday night so the pick of course you know john jones and uh looking forward to this card it's it's you know it's uh, a little bit underwhelming you know the 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 analogy I used earlier is if WrestleMania was headlined by a squash match, you know, WrestleMania, the best pro wrestling event of the year, you know, usually headlined or, you know, usually stacked from top to bottom with the best matches and the best WWE wrestlers. And then the main event is usually, you know, a competitive, uh, you know, back and forth match between the two biggest stars. Well, you know, Jones, the biggest star in this one, he, it's just unfortunate that it's not a really competitive matchup. You know, if, if, if it was Thiago Mahetta Santos in there, I think John Jones would be minus two or 300 and Santos might be, you know, plus 200 plus 250, you know, something like that. That would be really exciting, but you know, oh, well, hopefully that fight is next. And, you know, we still got ourselves a hell of a card, you know, Usman and Woodley, a uh, razor thin matchup, you know, the takedown defense aspect of Lawler is going to be, you know, something to watch for. Munoz Garbrandt's going to be razor thin. Stevens uh, Zabit's going to be razor thin. And, you know, we just got, we're packed with good fights in this card. I think the dogs will, are going to be barking like crazy in this card. You know, uh, Munoz could pull off the dog win. Uh, Sirkunov, I think, will pull off the dog win. Bird could pull off the dog win. Sanchez, the dog win. V, uh, Cypher is the dog win. You know, so this one's going to be uh, good, uh, good from the dogs, I believe. And uh, that's enough about this card, though. We're going to just quickly recap the UFC that happened last week. Um, the card that went down in Prague, Czech Republic. Um, you know, it was a it was a solid fight card that happened uh, during the day, uh, during the morning actually started. Um, first fight of the night, we had Damir Ismagulov defeat Joel Alvarez by decision. You know, Damir has continued looking impressive in there, but you know that same problems. Damir's you know his killer instinct seems to be absent. He seems to you know be a little bit pillow fisted. He couldn't even finish a guy like Joel Alvarez who, you know, had really no striking about him. The guy was supposed to be some sort of jujitsu submission wizard and he barely even looked for a takedown or submission at all in this fight. So, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, I guess Ismagalov is just, you know, he's he's just he fights smart, I guess. A little too smart. Um 
Diego Ferreira picking up the decision win over Rustam Kadilov. Great performance from him. Was able to, you know, uh, revert stuff those takedowns or reverse the shots of Rustam Kadilov. Just incredible ground game by Diego Ferreira showed off in this fight and was able to win the striking exchanges and win the rounds to get the decision in that one. Really nice fight from him. Huge upset in uh, Ismail Nardiev picking up the win over Michel Prezeris. Uh, Nardiev was able to stuff the shots of uh, Prezeris, make him pay on the feet and win. I think he almost won three rounds let me let me check the scorecards in this one because you know you know i think he was plus three like i said plus 350 and this one was nardiev his ufc debut was taken on pizaris on a nine fight win, or eight fight win streak excuse me and uh you know he pulls off that that huge upset still looking for this motherfucking scores of this fight let's see we have nardiev 30 26 30 26 30 27 yeah that third round man i think that honestly could have been stopped in the third round uh, Nardia really did 30-27 uh, Pizarro. So one of the most impressive debuts uh, in recent memory from Nardiev and you know his 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 future is looking bright I don't I think he, his ceiling is you know has not been set yet and he could honestly be you know one of the top guys at uh in multiweight in the next couple of years. Uh, next fight, Demir Hadzovic defeating Polio Reyes by uh, TKO. Very smart strategic fight from him. You know, it was able to win the first round of this fight and then finish Polio Reyes in the second one. Uh, Jillian Robertson got the rear naked choke over Macedo. You know, I, I wanted to believe that Macedo was going to, her sub defense was going to be good enough to stuff the, the sub attempts of Ro Robertson all round, but, you know, it, it, it didn't last the whole fight, unfortunately. Macedo was eventually tapped out by uh, Robertson in the second round. You know, Robertson is you know she's a legit grappler. I kind of thought that her submit her her submissions weren't that legit, but man, you know she showed that uh, she uh, she's got good grappling skills. You know she was able to submit Macedo something Andrea Lee wasn't. So Robertson's submission skills are no joke. Chris Fishgold got the rear naked choke over uh, Daniel Tamer round two of that fight. Um, Fishgold looking pretty underwhelming, sloppy in the first round. You know, he gave up position. Was actually, you know, you know, looked uh, was was actually on bottom, getting hit with some ground and pound from Tamer at some point, who has no ground game. So, despite Fishgold looking getting the win via rear naked choke in the second round, man, I, I still think he looked underwhelming in there. I don't think he even looked minus two fifty or wherever his odds were at. So, uh, Dwight Grant picking up a knockout at 4 minutes and 59 seconds of round number one versus Carlo Pedrazzoli, man. Just crazy knockout in this one, you know. Dwight Grant, you know, it looked like he was losing round one. He looked like he was tentative like he was in his last fight. Everyone was worried about it. He He's a counter puncher. You know, that is his game to wait to, you know, be low output, to wait for you to strike. And then he, he will hit you with some uh, his hard boxing shots, try to put you out. And, you know, he looked tentative in his debut. He was looking tentative in this fight. But out of nowhere, he launches a punch and it floors Carlo Pedrozoli out of midair. And he eventually gets the knockout in this one. You know, just a crazy, crazy uh, knockout in the last second of the round by Grant. And, you know, Grant's power is no joke, man. He's, uh, I would like to see him, uh, you know, develop some more tools so he's not strictly a counterpuncher, you know, get his kicking game better, you know, you know, constantly improve that takedown defense. 
and uh, you know, but you know, right now he seems a little one-dimensional. But man, that shit is working out so far with him, and uh, you know, nice performance from him. Magomed Ankalaev uh, defeating Kitasina Brayu, uh, you know, via, via unanimous decision. I believe that was 30-27 from him in that fight. Yeah, you know, very impressive performance from Ankalaev in that fight. Didn't really look in trouble at all. Uh, you know, just you just uh, broke uh, Kitasina's Abreu's uh, nose in the first round. Uh, props to Abreu for toughing it out. He probably fought maybe 12, 10 to 12 minutes with a completely broken nose in this one. Uh, Peter Yan, my man, uh, defeating John Dodson via decision in this one. Uh, Peter Yan, you know, just continues to impress. Got caught by Dodson at one point. Was, I believe, rocked in the second round, but just, still won this fight, you know, 30-27. Might even got a, you know, a 30-27 in this one. Uh you know, on all three scorecards for Jan, you know, it just, you know, looked really impressive, you know, beat, the, uh, his boxing was on point, his, his leg kicks were on point, he, you know, he, uh, you know, had a lot of fouls in there, he was, you know, he was, you know, fouling, uh, uh fucking John Dodson a lot, Dodson was complaining left and right, you know, it looked like, you know, maybe a couple nut shots, a couple headbutts, maybe a little cage grab, short grab, he was doing a little bit of everything in there, but, you know, uh, so, but Peter Yan just continues to impress me, and I really think this guy's going to be a top five bantamweight uh, by the end of the year, just, you know, up there in contention with, you know, Munoz, with Garbrandt, with Dillashaw, with, you know, Cejudo, with, you know, Cruz and uh, Marlon Morris, all those guys, I really think he's right up there with them already uh 4-0 in the ufc in the past like 10 months man just can't say enough good things about car uh peter Yan. liz carmouche picking up the decision over lucy putalova really boring uh fight you know not much happened in it uh carmouche was ha- had some success with the takedown but you know not really much she had some control on the ground didn't really do much damage you know she won this fight based on a little bit of control really surprising that she won the decision lucia putilova is the only czech fighter on the card the you know crowd was going crazy for putilova doing nothing in this fight and but some the, uh, to my like i said to my surprise the judges still gave it to uh, carmouche uh, I guess the right fighter, you know, she had, she, I think she had more success, you know, dictating where the fight took place, so I guess you could uh, give the fight to her. Michelle Olachechuk, uh, you know, was a uh, TKO John Vellante with a, n- a nice punch to the body, you know, just a wicked body shot that hit Vellante right in the liver and put uh, put him down, you know, Vellante's hard to finish, but Olachechuk did it with one punch, so, you know, props to him, he's looked that, you know, looked good coming off his suspension, look, he, his power is, you know, there with him, and he looked like he continued to improve over that suspension, so, uh, Olachechuk is uh, somebody to look out for in the shallow 205-pound division. Uh, Hajiro DeLima took down, and I think, uh, he rocked Stefan Struve, and then was able to win this fight, was able to 10-8 Stefan Struve, you know, just, the, the whole round on top was just grounding and pounding Struve, uh, was 10, uh, you know, clear 10-8 round from DeLima, and then sure enough, Stefan Struve, at the start of the second round, hits a takedown of DeLima, and gets a choke of his own, an arm triangle, winning this fight, you know, just an incredible comeback performance from Stefan Struve, and he, you know, retired in the octagon afterwards, a very smart decision from Stefan Struve, he's had uh, a lot of health troubles, over the past couple of years, he's had some, you know, nasty losses. So, um, nice to see him go out on a win. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, not many fighters do that. And uh, like he, I think he said something along those lines is not many guys go out on a win and I want to be one to do it. So smart, uh, smart play to him. And in the main event, we had Thiago Santos defeat Jan Blahovic via knockout in the third round. 
really weird fight, you know, but two, uh, you know, heavy hitters, you know, they fought smart, they fought technical, and, you know, I don't even really remember who won the first two rounds. Um, I would have to go back and maybe look at, like, the, the chats I sent during that fight, and, uh, but, you know, it, it, interesting, right? You know, uh, it, like I said, two heavy hitters, they didn't really throw down like we thought they would. Santos was, uh, you know, in the third, at the start of the third round, Blahovich stupidly just blitzed Santos, um, and then got caught with a, you know, a counter left hook, was dropped, and then finished with a, a barrage of hammer fists for the finish in this one. You know, Mahete Santos showing off the fact that he can he can fight in different ways. He can he can brawl you, he can you know fight technical, or he, you know, and then conserve his cardio like he did. You know, Santos is you know just continuing to impress, man. The dude is he's on a fucking streak, man. The dude, uh, I mean, he lost to Branch last year, last April. Since then, has won four fights. Dude's you know super super active. Uh, you know, five fights, or excuse me, six fights in one year going five and one. He's clearly next for the title. You know, one of my favorite fighters in the octagon, you know, he, he finishes almost all of his fights. He's got, you know, two decisions in the UFC out of his, you know, 11 wins or something like that. So I hope Santos fights John Jones next, as I alluded to earlier. You know, it was a really solid card in Prague. And uh, that'll do it for that um, that portion of the podcast. The only last thing we have to talk about is the uh, the news co- uh, coming from the past week, which is uh, George St. Pierre is announcing his official retirement and um, a couple other fights too. We had uh, you know George St. Pierre's retirement. You know, I'll just touch on that real quick. You know, he's been in and out of retirement for the past you know five years. He's fought once in five years. He you know come came back and looked great. It, it was a vague retirement. He said, oh, yeah, if the, if the right fight and, you know, the, the number is right, the UFC offers the right fight, I might come back. It's like, oh, great. So so you're not really retiring. I honestly think that if they gave him the Khabib fight at, you know, Madison Square Garden in November at, you know, 155 or 65 or 70 or whatever and offered him $10 million, I think George Xavier would take it. So, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting to see that he's retiring. Who really knows if he's if he, he will stay retired or not? If he does, you know, he's up there, you know, top three, top five, pound for pound ever. You know, clearly the best waterweight of all time. One of the best athletes that ever stepped foot in the octagon. Some of the best fight IQ to ever step in the octagon. And the fact that he was able to come back off that four-year layoff, move up a weight class, and... Uh, finish the, the champ michael bisping to get that double championship was just you know incredible um and you know he will go down as one of the best mixed martial arts of all t- mixed martial artists of all time a couple of fights that were announced were robert whitaker versus israel adesanya for the interim middleweight title in in lieu of uh Robert Whitaker's recent injury, um, you know, we they they were making that uh, interim title fight. You know, interim title fights are bullshit, but that'd be a good fight. Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum. They also have another interim title fight for UFC 236, which is going down in Atlanta, Georgia. Max Holloway moving up the the the, the UFC featherweight champion. Yes, you heard me. Moving up to lightweight to fight for the lightweight title, uh, interim lightweight title versus Dustin Poirier. Uh, you know, no fights at lightweight. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. You know, we have a, a kill, a killers at lightweight. You know, Gregor Gillespie, uh, Islam Makhachev, guys who aren't even in the top five who are, you know, championship level caliber. You know, of course, Tony Ferguson on that, you know, 12 fight win streak, Dustin Poirier. Um, Ally Quinta, Conor McGregor. And then Max Holloway is somehow able to move up from his 45. He never even fought at 55 in his life before. And then, 
and then he gets the t an interim title shot right away. It's it's real, super super confusing. You know the fact that uh, Tony Ferguson turned down this title shot. It's this, it's 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 upsetting because Poirier versus Ferguson would have been an, an insane fight. But if you were Tony Ferguson and you won the interim title already, and the UFC stripped you of that interim title because you got injured from some freak accident while you were doing media for your fight one week away. You know, why would you fight for that title again? You know, that, that shit means nothing. They're having you fight, you know, Dustin Poirier, one of the toughest guys in the division, for no fucking reason. That interim title doesn't guarantee you a title shot. You know, Khabib versus Tony could still happen, despite the fact that, that this interim title is taking place. If Connor comes back and beats Cowboy or beats I Quinta or beats whoever, they, the UFC could give Connor that title shot. There's no rhyme or reason for these title shots. That interim belt means nothing. It's ridiculous, um, you know. So the fact that Holloway could potentially come up to lightweight, beat Poirier, have one fight at lightweight, and get a title shot with Khabib would be disgusting, considering the fact that Tony Ferguson is on a 12-fight win streak over like four or five years, has won the interim title, and has still not fought for that title. It's just you know egregious that the fact that the UFC is letting this happen. I mean, the fight itself is incredible. Holloway versus Poirier, you know. Sign me up, five rounds, sign me up. But, the you know, just that stupid interim title, it just ruins it, honestly. I mean, it won't ruin it. I'm just not going not gonna to watch it. Not gonna, it's not like I'm not going to enjoy the fight. It won't be, it'll still be a great fight. But, you know, with the way they're doing Tony Ferguson dirty, with the way they're letting Holloway come up and get the immediate title shot, with the way they're leaving 145 and Limbo, it's just, it's bad, man. It's bad. Uh, you know, I talked about it earlier with Colby Covington, you know how his he got screwed out of his interim title shot so you know it, it's you know it's one of the problems we have in mma you know it's not it's not going to stop us we're still you know still enjoying the sport and we'll have a great weekend with the ufc 235 pay-per-view so and i recapped the ufc prog show and i talked about a couple of the news stories throughout the week so that is going to do it for this episode of martian mixed martial arts i will see you guys next week before ufc wichita peace